Lord, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity just to hang out with these guys and laugh a little and talk a little and talk about things going on in our city and around and football and baseball and uh, just all the pleasures and the, the blessings that we have as a, a church and as a people. And we always want to remember that your heartbeat is seeking to save that which is lost. And so, God, I pray that we as a church and we as a body of believers would stay uh, passionate about that being our, uh, our reason for being here as a church. And uh, uh, so, God, let us, uh, let us keep that. Let us, let us be like uh, the church at Philadelphia, the church with an open door. And uh, God, let us always uh, keep it open uh, that we may go and make disciples, but also that we might bring people back uh, so that they can grow in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, we do want to, and, and I want to encourage you with this, and I met with the staff again, and uh, one of my challenges uh, over and over again, always to our staff, which is always to our uh, deacons, which is always to the men in our church, uh, that uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 19 uh, said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we need to understand if that was Jesus' purpose, that has to be our purpose. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. What is our purpose? What do we see ourselves uh, as believers? And so I want to encourage you, um, when you think about serving at Fall Festival, uh, think about how many times Jesus went into the crowd and he looked at Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house tonight. Uh, this weekend from 4 to 7 p.m. It's an opportunity where thousands of people um, will come on our campus. Uh, most, a vast majority, are totally unchurched. Totally unchurched. Would never consider walking in the doors uh, of our church, but we get the opportunity to put a smile and face on, and maybe uh, their kids will say, hey, why don't we come back here someday? Or if there's a, they're in a crisis mode or in a difficulty uh, in their situation, they'll come back. So I want to encourage um, you uh, on, on Saturday afternoon, I was going to say, if you don't have anything else to do, let this be a priority uh, for us to serve, for us to love on people who have kids. Uh, to reach out to them. Uh, but in, in, if you remember, if you're first-timer, I appreciate the first-timer here, um, but as you look, we've been looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We've been looking at the seven churches, and in all, all seven of these situations, we're looking at the sixth one. Um, Christ is walking through these seven churches. These seven churches were literal churches of that day, uh, they, they actually had physical location. They had pastors uh, that preached in these churches. They had people. They had leadership. Uh, and they also had characteristics. Uh, some of the characteristics of the church were good. Some of the characteristics were bad. Uh, some of the characteristics were ones that Jesus basically walked through the church and said, high five, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but as with everything, uh, there were some other churches, in each church, there were always some things that he said, but you need to stop doing this. I mean, isn't that kind of our life? I mean, isn't that kind of our life? There might be a lot going on, but I know through the Spirit's convicting power that there's one or two areas in my life that I need to change. I need to reel that in. Uh, I might be good in this area and good in this area and good in this area, but you know, the way that I talk to my wife isn't right, or the, the way I do this isn't right, or sometimes I fly off the handle, I do that. Or, or you know what, I come to church, I, serve, I, I worship church, I love God, I read my Bible, but, but, but I, I really won't do anything to reach a lost person. I won't help out, I won't serve. You know, There are always good things we do and bad things we do. And the reality of it is, when we come to these churches, Christ walks through these churches, 
And, and a lot of times we see what we're going to see today. He says, man, I see your deeds. I see what you're doing. Keep on doing it. But then he would have this comment, but I want to encourage you to do this, or I want you to encourage you to stop doing this. There's always that but in there. Um, one, of the, um, one of the ones we're looking at today, the church at Philadelphia, is one of those without a but. Uh, if you remember the first week, I talked to you about the big butt. All right, that was Ephesian church. Man, they were, f- they were firm in their doctrine. They were faithful in their service. But he said, you've left your first love. In other words, you had stopped doing everything you were doing as a church because of your love for Christ. You were doing it, but you were doing it without love. And so if you remember in uh, that first week, and these can all be heard online if you want to go pull them up, if you missed them, that first week we talked to um, the church at Ephesus. Jesus talked to them, and I kind of used the phrase, you've lost that love and feeling. He said, you're, you're sound in doctrine, you're sound in service, but you lost your first love. The second week we looked at the church at, at Smyrna, and uh, it was the surf, suffering church. And Jesus basically said, man, you just keep persevering. You keep uh, pressing on. Then we looked at Pergamum, was, uh, which was a church that was on a slippery slope. They um, began to embrace some false teaching and some uh, immoral lifestyles. And he said, be careful. Uh, you're about to journey and fall down a slippery slope. Then we looked at Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira, uh, I said uh, that week, um, this ain't Burger King. Uh, a lot of people want to come into a church, and when they hear a sermon preach, or when they read Scripture, or they hear what the church believes, uh, they want to have it our way. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe that, but I want to reject that. I'll accept that, but I want to reject that. And I uh, said that week that, that, listen, God's Word is not like Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. It is what it is. And we have to accept it all. That's really what it is. And then if you remember last week, uh, I talked to you about oxymorons. And uh, what an oxymoron was, and we, we talked about several of those, like a jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. And jumbo and shrimp don't seem to go together. Uh, Chuck Whittlem actually sent one to me. He said he's out of town uh, this week. What did he send me? Uh, oh, he sent me one. He thought this was a good one after, I guess he had been pondering since uh, maybe he just woke up after last week. Uh, he said, hey, when we say something's a minor miracle, he goes, that seems to be an oxymoron. Minor and miracle. Miracles always seem to be pretty major, right? And uh, so we looked at the, uh, the oxymoron. And an oxymoron last week when the church, we looked at the church at Sardis was the idea of a dead church. Those shouldn't go together. A dead church, that should be uh, an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a dead church. All churches ought to be alive and active and pursuing and seeking to save that which was lost. And so today we come to um, the uh, sixth church. Next week we'll look at that lukewarm church. I want to encourage you to be back next week. Uh, that church that Christ says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Uh, really, he says, I'm going to vomit you out. But um, in this one... Um, in this church of Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, uh, this is what Jesus says to a growing church. Uh, uh, find the strengths and opportunities and keep growing. So let's read it. Uh, and it's, we'll find it in Revelation chapter 3, picking up in verse 7, and we'll read verses 7 to 13, and then we'll begin to walk through that again. Here's what Jesus says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words, this is who, who's speaking. Uh, the angel, we've talked about this before, probably the pastor, the messenger, the leader uh, of the church there in Philadelphia. Here's what I write. These are the words of him who is holy and true and who holds the key of David. 
What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut it. I know that you have a little strength. You don't have a lot of strength, but you have a little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. He says, since I have kept my word, since you have kept my word to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come to the whole world and to test its inhabitants. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will be able to take it away. He says, that no, that w- and to the one who is victorious, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, and I will be the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them a new name, my new name. And then he says, verse 13, these words that we hear over and over again in these two passages, whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, let him hear. And so we always want to be ones that um, have an ear uh, to hear what Christ has to say to us. Uh, as we think about the church at Philadelphia, uh, you know, anytime we go through trials and difficulties, um, one of two things has a tendency to happen. Uh, when, the, when the heat's turned on, we either soften like carrots or vegetables or broccoli, right? Uh, we soften uh, or we become hard-boiled like eggs. You know, it seems like it's one of those two things. Man, we go through trials as believers. I know believers that just become hard. Man, it just makes them hard. And, and other believers, man, you put them through a little bit of trial, uh, and they just soften up. They just kind of throw in the towel. They kind of quit. And in Philadelphia, they didn't do either one of those. They kept an open door. They kept loving people. They kept loving God, but they kept pursuing the lost. And that's what we want to be as we journey through uh, difficulties and hardships exactly like they did. We don't want to become hard and hateful of the world, even if the world is the one that's bringing our trials. We also don't want to become so soft that we just give up the truth, that we give up our faith, that we walk away from our faith. Uh, We want to keep towing that line of being strong in our faith and strong in the Lord, but also faithful in serving Him. Uh, If you look in this one, there are two churches uh, of these seven churches. And if you remember the pattern, Christ tells us who's speaking. He defines Himself, tells us a little bit about His character. And then typically, He commends them for what they're doing right, And then he challenges them or condemns them for what they're doing wrong. Philadelphia is one of two of the churches that there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. The first one was Smyrna, uh, the church that was suffering. He didn't condemn them for anything. He said, you just carry on. Philadelphia is the other church, the only other church in all of these seven that he doesn't give anything negative to. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to repent of this. I want you to do something different here. And so it's pretty significant that we ought to look at this church and say, hey, if these guys were able to maintain faithfulness in the midst of tribulation and trials, then we ought to be able to do the same. So let's look first of all at the character of the one speaking. You see it right there in verse 7. If you look back to it, let's read it again. Uh, This is Christ. He's kind of disclosing in each one of these disclosures 
as Christ speaks to the churches, he gives us a little hint of his character, a little bit of a different hint of his nature and, and who he is. And here's what he says in verse 7. He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And so that's kind of uh, really three designations. He said he's the one who's holy and true and holds the key of David. Well, let's go back. Christ is saying he's holy. What does that holy mean? It's the word, Greek word hagios. It means, it means to be separate from. It means to be pure. And Christ is saying of all the things on this earth, he is holy. He is pure. He is true. Uh, he's a cut above. Uh, Christ isn't like other religious leaders. Christ is not just uh, a comparable uh, to the Buddha or uh, comparable to Muhammad or somebody. He says, man, I'm a cut above. I am uh, like God. I am completely like God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Um, this is God speaking through Isaiah, Isaiah, and he says, And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Christ is using that same imagery, pulling back. He goes, When those angels... In Isaiah's time, we're talking about God being holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He was saying, that was me. I'm holy. I'm just like Christ. I'm, I'm just like God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 says, to whom will you be compared? Talking about God. He is no one. Who is of my equal? No one, says the Holy One. And Jesus is using that same imagery. He's saying, I'm God when I walk through the churches. I walk through as a holy God, as the leader of the church, as the head of the church, but I'm also completely pure. He says holy and true. That's the second word. He says, man, I'm genuine and authentic. In other words, Christ is saying what I say is absolutely true. doesn't matter what the evening headlines say. It doesn't matter what uh, the prevailing prevailing, uh, uh, morality is of the day. Jesus said, man, what I say is true. You can bank on it. If I tell you to live by it, and if I tell you to do it, it is right. So he's holy and he's true. Then you come to this statement, who holds the key of David, all right? Who holds the key of David. Uh, Don't know if you know what this reference is from, but if you look back to Isaiah chapter 22, you don't have to go back there. But um, clearly with the king there, Uh, In Isaiah chapter 22, you had all the treasuries uh, and the gifts of David and David's palace. And what they would have is a key holder, essentially. And the guy in that name in that day who had the key to all of David's house and all of David's uh, treasury was a guy named Shebna. All right, Shebna. Don't don't name your kid Shebna because it didn't turn out well for him. Uh, Apparently, Shebna, although he had this immense power, this great power, uh, he used his power for his own good. And, and he, would, he, he would use the power to basically prop himself up. And he would say, hey, uh, you want to come see the, the treasuries of Je- David? You want to come see all the good stuff? You want to come walk away? Hey, you know me, we're good. And so he would kind of buddy-buddy the deal. Not only that, uh, in in the season and in the time, uh, boy, there were specific places uh, that were reserved, uh, I guess kind of of like a mausoleum perhaps, where the kings got to have a place to be buried there, no one else. Well, if you look in Isaiah chapter 22, he had dug himself out a place for himself. In other words, he was trying to insert himself right there next to the great leaders of Israel. He was saying, yeah, and so people would walk in someday and go, hey, there's King David, there's King Solomon. Who's this Shebna dude? 
All right? And so he was using this incredible power, the keys to David's house, uh, for his own benefit, to prop himself up. And we don't ever want to be that way, and, and we don't ever want to use uh, Jesus in that way. You know, hey, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life, but then I want Jesus to fix any problems I have. And so what happens, if you look in Isaiah chapter 22, God shows up and says, man, Shebna, you're done. You're done. You're taking advantage of your position. You're taking advantage of everything I've given you. And so he removes the key and gives it to someone. Now, the key holder was the one that had the right to all of the riches of the king's treasury. Jesus is identifying himself here as the one who is holy, like God, who speaks complete truth like God, and is the key holder to the treasury and the riches of God. And so what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you follow me, someday I'm going to open the door to all of heaven's riches for you. So that's what he's saying. If you go and look at that reference, it goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 22. And Jesus is saying, I am the key holder. What is he the key holder? Not just to David's, um, David's precious uh, uh, legacy, but Jesus is the key holder to the lineage of David and the line of David that leads all the way back to God himself. And he says, if you follow me and if you listen to me, you're going to have access to anything God has for you. So now, let's continue to read on, and you see that example there. And um, uh, He has the master key. And, and now, I want you to notice, go back up and let's read verse 7 again. Notice what it says. He says, who holds the key of David. If, if you want to mark this out, it does not say he holds a key. He says, I hold the key. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. There is a definite article in the original language where Jesus is speaking to the church. I hold the key. Now, you're going to hear... Uh, it's important that we go back and, and acknowledge that because what we're going to hear in a few seconds is, is one of Jesus' Jesus's condemnation here is not actually on the church at Philadelphia. It's to those of Satan's house who call themselves Jews. Let me give you a little bit of the background of what we're going to read through here. Jews were coming in to Philadelphia, which is primarily a Gentile church. And again, we've seen this over and over. We saw it in the book of Galatians, right? These Galatians, these Jews, these Judaizers, uh, these Pharisee types uh, roll into a church filled with Gentiles and said, listen, it's good to have grace, but you got to add the law, right? You, you, if you're a guy, you got to go get circumcised. And we, would all, we couldn't wait. If, we, if that was us today, we couldn't wait to line up today to have that happen, right? How many of you would be in on that? Right? They had all this list of you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do that. And so what he says is uh, Jesus ends up saying, they're really not Jews at all. They're of the house of Satan. And so Jesus is real serious. And what they were saying is, listen, if you want access to the throne, if you want access to God, sure, accept Jesus Christ, but then add the Jewish law, and then you'll get to heaven. And Jesus speaking to the church at Philadelphia who so far 
has held firm in their faith that it's not Jesus plus Judaism. Jesus comes in and says, follow me. I have the key. And he says, and if I'm telling you, get into the Father to riches, it's faithful and it's true. And so that's why it's important when you read that. He says, I have the key of David, not a key. He says, I am the only key. I am the master key. And we want to remember that as we are walking in a world that, you know, seems to want to profess uh, that there are many paths to heaven. And all truth uh, seems to be of equal and valid. Jesus, in the midst of that culture and in the midst of our culture today, says, I am the key. All right, so let's pick it up. So that was who was speaking. Uh, Now let's look at the commendation. Remember, there's no condemnation. Uh, We pick that up in verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. We've seen that several times now. He says, and I see, and he says, see, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look at verse 9. He said, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have, in fact, loved you. It's kind of interesting my guess these, is these Jews were rolling through there in their Rolls Royce of religions, looking down on all these Gentiles who were worshiping Jesus Christ, and they were looking down and basically treating these Gentile believers in Philadelphia uh, as if they were second-class religious citizens. They were like, all right, it's good to be a Gentile believer, but it's even better to be a Jewish believer. And essentially what Jesus said, hey, just hold firm in your faith and I'll make them bow down to you someday. So just hold on and be firm. Now look at what he says in verse 10. He says, since you have kept the command, endure patiently. He says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world and test its inhabitants. So let's walk back through and just notice the context. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. And he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not, not denied my name. Man, as you think about that, whatever we do, we always have to remember that Jesus sees what we do. Jesus acknowledges what we do. Uh, That's sometimes good and that's sometimes bad, right? Uh, We all want Jesus. If you're like me, we all want Jesus to see when I score. In my spiritual faith, in my moral faith, we want Jesus. But the reality of it is Jesus sees the bad too. Jesus sees my failures and my my bumbling and my struggling and my hurting and my hardship. Jesus sees both. And so it say, Jesus says, I know your deeds. And that listen to this. He says, you, I have set before you an open door. What should be an open door? Man, we should always as a church be looking for an open door. I love this idea that Jesus said, I have set before you an open door. Now, uh, in the context, there are a couple of things that, uh, that this could mean. 
Uh, it could mean that Jesus, who remember referred to himself as the one who is the holder of the master key of David, uh, it could be the open door to heaven. That he says, man, I have set before you an open door. Don't, don't listen to what the Judaizers say. Don't listen to what those Jews who call themselves Jews say about how you have to get to heaven. He goes, I've set before you an open door. And how does that open door come? By faith and grace, in, by, by faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God, you have an open door. So it could be salvation. He's just saying, man, I've set before you an open door. As a church, uh, we should have an open door, right? An open door policy that we should be willing to go out to the community. We should be opening uh, the doors up for the community to come into us, right? That's what, that's what fall festival is all about, man. As we open the doors and all over our campus, people are going to be coming. That's our open door. Come on, we'd love you to see why. Eventually, we want to be able to share the gospel with you. We're, we're willing to give your kids some candy, get them jacked up on sugar, send them home with you. Hopefully, as a result, you'll bring them back someday. There'll be an open door. Then we'll have an open door for the gospel, right? That's what we hope. We don't want a class action lawsuit someday when all of Collin County kids have diabetes and they point it back to our fall festival. We don't want that. But the truth is, what we want is we want an open door. Obviously, when come, people come in, we want to talk about the open door to heaven. See, grace and salvation is not for a select few. It's an open door for all who believe in Jesus Christ, who is the key holder. But also as a church, we want to make sure there's an open door that when we meet together, we charge. We are charged with the ability and the desire and the heartbeat and the energy to go out and share our faith with others. We want an open door that anybody who wants to come in can come in. And so he says, I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. And now notice he points out, he says, you have a little power. What was he saying? He's saying, in, in the social stratum of that day, most of the believers in the church in Philadelphia were not the big dogs in the community. They were not the big dogs in the community. You know, they, they were not, not the great dames of the political life. They were the chihuahuas. I don't know where that came from, but. <laughs> but he says, you don't have a lot of power. He says, as a matter of fact, when people look at you, you don't look like much. And you know, when I look around this room, that gives us all a little encouragement, doesn't it? <laughs> that I look around, I'm not looking at a lot of power in this room. But Jesus says, I've set before you an open door. You don't have to be this, and you don't have to be that, and you don't have to be this, and you don't have to be that. All you have to know is the one who holds the key, the master key to heaven, has set before you an open door. Go in his power. Don't reflect back on the fact that you have a little power. He says, go in your power and do something for his kingdom. Whatever power you have, I love that. He just acknowledges. He says, you don't have much. He says, I'll look at you. You don't have resources. You don't have energy. You don't have position. You don't have this. and You're not that. And, and, and you're not going to be on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or all of those. You're never going to, that's never going to be you. He says, but you got an open door. And you're making a big impact. And then notice as he goes on, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue, this is his commendation, who are of the uh, synagogue of Satan, 
who claim to be Jews, though they are not, they're liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. I love that. He, he just calls them out. He just calls them out. Jesus says, hey, I, I'll make those who, are, who call themselves Jews, but they're not. I'll make them fall down at your feet. That's not mincing words, is it? He says, they call themselves Jews, but they're liars. I mean, Jesus is speaking pretty plainly here. And, you know, the, the truth is that that also flows for today. There, there, there are going to be people that roll into your life, and they're going to say, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I go to church, but. And then you're going to hear what they say or see how they live their lifestyle, and it's going to be totally out of alignment with God's Word. You know what? That just simply makes them a liar. Man, if they adopt um, you know, the world's definition of marriage or they adopt the world's definition of this or that, and Scripture has been clear, they're liars. And so he says, listen, you stood against them. And he goes, listen, they walk around arrogantly pretending they are smarter and better than you are. And he goes, but there's coming a day. I'm going to make them bow down at your feet and show you. And then look at what he says in verse 10, last part of his commendation. He says, since you have kept my command and you've endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. This is kind of a foreshadowing, a forethought of the rapture and the tribulation. If you look at these words, he's saying, man, I'm going to pull you out. And we see this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I'm going to pull you out early. He says, you're not going to have to go through the tribulation. You're not going to have to go through the tribulation and see all the difficulty and the hardship because I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to rapture you. I'm going to come to you quickly. We'll see that imagery here in a few seconds. So uh, what is his commendation? He goes, man, you've held strong. You haven't, have not swerved. You haven't, you haven't crumpled under the pressure of these people that seem to have stronger and more powerful positions than you. And he goes, as a result, you've held on to the teaching of faith and the gospel of truth. And the reality of it is, you're going to have an open door. Now, notice the challenge. He, 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 there's always challenges in life. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I am coming soon. So hold on to what you have so that no one will be able to take your crown. Now, if you take those words, coming soon, uh, uh, your, uh, your translation might say, I'm coming quickly. Uh, that's the same word that's oftentimes used as it relates to the rapture. The rapture happening in a, a twinkling of an eye, quickly, rapidly, immediately. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Therefore, hold on to what you have so that no one would be able to take it away from you and that you would stand confident and unashamed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, children, this is John talking to those people uh, uh, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, says, Continue to walk in Christ. So that when Christ appears, we will have confidence and be unashamed before Him. Man, I don't know when Christ is going to come. I don't know when He's going to say this is over. I don't know what the day is. I don't know what the hour is. Uh, I don't know anything about that. As a matter of fact, um, 
the disciples when Jesus in Acts chapter 1, uh, when the disciples were wanting to know and they were about to see Jesus go back into heaven, they said, hey, when are you going to be back? And he looked at them and said, hey, I don't even know that. Only the Father knows. So I don't know when Christ is going to come. But here's what I do know. He could come anytime. He could come anytime. And therefore, what? We need to be about the business of Christ and following Him and being faithful to Him every day. Why? Because I want to be found faithful when He does come. And so He tells them, He says, I'm coming soon. In other words, quickly. Now, a lot of time when we think about those, those words coming soon, we want to think how soon between now and then. That's really not, and there's a lot of good preaching that, uh, uh, that prophecy teachers preach about that he's coming soon. They want to say, well, I look at this sign, and I look at this sign, and I look at this sign, so it seems like Christ is going to come soon. That's really not that word, what that word means. What it means is when he does come, it's going to happen quickly. Does that make sense? There's a difference, right? There's a difference between me being able to look at the earthquakes and anytime there are hurricanes and wars and stuff, I get loads of emails in my inbox. Want to know, hey, pastor, I saw this happened over here and this happened over there and I can go find this in the Bible. Does this look like the time? What he's saying really is this, and we need to always remember this. Anytime people begin to use what they see, what was it last? Last year was all the blood moons, right? I remember, I remember people sending me books on those, uh, all the blood moons that Christ was going to return. A couple of weeks ago, someone predicted the end of the earth. How many remember that on Saturday? He's revised that. Uh, the, uh, listen, if you are ever listening to a ministry and a guy predicts a day, just be out. Be out. And by the way, don't tell others you were in my church that you were in that long. You should have seen that coming. All right? Uh, and, and I will also tell you this. If a guy has inside knowledge from God about when Christ is going to return and he writes a book to sell about it, he doesn't have inside knowledge from God. Because I will tell you, if God quickened my spirit and said, I'm coming tomorrow or I'm coming in three months, my first response would not be to go hide in my office and write a book so I could sell. So I want you to know, if you buy books, tell you what, don't buy books that predict the end of the world. Just give it to the church. We'll at least see someone get saved out of it, okay? So the point is, when he says, I am coming soon, those words don't talk about from now, pretty quickly I'm going to come. What it says is when I come, it will happen quickly. Do you understand the difference between those two? We always want to think, well, man, but the last generation thought he was coming in this generation. The last generation. Listen, what he's saying is we don't know when it's going to be. And it's not necessarily soon in time. But when it does happen, there's going to be no time for you to say, by the way, I was just about to pray that prayer. Does that make sense? It's not like this is going to be a crockpot rapture, all right, where we see it brewing and stewing and it's cooking for a while. He says, man, when I come, I'm going to come quickly, so hold on. And so notice what, what do we do? How do we hold on? He says, you have confidence and you're unashamed. What do we hold on to? We remain faithful. 
We have to remain faithful. What does that mean, remain faithful? Serve. Study God's Word. Hold firm to the teachings of the faith. Let me ask you a question. Just in those three, how faithful are you? Do you hold firm to the teaching of Scripture? Are you serving because you know you need to be like Christ? Are you sharing your faith? He says, man, hold on so no one can take it away. And now notice, it's kind of interesting. So no one can take away your crown. What does that mean? You've heard me talk. Um, some people believe that means, uh, I think it was either last week or week before, I asked, asked the question, does God have an, have an eraser? And uh, we, we pretty clearly said God doesn't have a relation, uh, an eraser. No one will take salvation away from us. But I've said this over and over again. You can lose your rewards. We can lose our rewards. And we need to be reminded about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in, a race, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. What is he saying? A reward, right? He says we want to run in such a way that we get the prize. Remember Luke chapter 19 where uh, Jesus tells uh, the story of the talents, that the landowner went away and uh, to one person he gave uh, so many talents, to another he gave this number, and to another he gave this number. Then when, the, then when the, the king, the landowner came back, he said, hey, come back in. And the first says, hey, I went and invested what you gave me. I took the, I took the, uh, um, the talents and the gifts that you gave me. I invested them, and here I have twice as much. And he says, well done, good and faithful service. The next person who had less went out and invested them, used the rewards, used the gifts, used the talents they had, and he returned, uh, he returned double again. Jesus didn't say, well, you're not as good as the first guy. He says, no, he said the same words. Well done, good and faithful servant. One guy went out and buried his talent, right? The landowner came back and said, hey, where's the talent? He says, I went out and buried it. Here it is. Here's the one you gave me. I didn't want to lose it. And he goes, give me that. And he goes, man, you should have used what I gave you. And so what we want to make sure of is that Christ doesn't come back to us someday and say, Cottonwood as a church. I put so many talents, uh, uh, King James Minas. I gave you so many resources, so many talents as a church, and you buried them. You buried them. And he goes, therefore, I'm going to take them away from you. You know, it's one thing for us to think of that on the church perspective and the church level. But what about on your level? What all has God gifted you with? Man, if, if you have health and if you have a little money in your pocket... And if you have any amount of food in your refrigerator, do you realize you are wealthier than 90% of the world's population? If you have any money in your pocket and any food in your refrigerator, you are wealthier than 90% of the world's population. What are we doing with our talents? And sometimes we sit back and say, God, that church is always asking me, come up here and spend an hour of my Saturday night standing in front of a bounce house giving out candy. Well, do you have two legs that you can stand on? That's a resource God has given you. He said, give to the chapel. 
so we can reach the next generation. Golly, they're always asking me to give to something. Well, remember our church is supposed to have an open door. That's a good thing, right? You don't want a church that is sitting here, let's bury our talents and bury our resources. You want a church that has an open door to go to the community and bring the community back. That's what we want. He says, hold fast, man. He says, we want the reward. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, someday, Paul, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, the judgment seat of Christ is different than the great white throne. Great white throne of judgment we see over in uh, the latter part of the book of Revelation. Uh, that's when unbelievers will be judged. Judgment seat of Christ is when believers will stand before Christ. And he says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things we have done, listen to these words, while in the body, whether good or bad. So, how do I store up for myself treasures in heaven, rewards in heaven? By the good I do while I'm in the body. How many of y'all are in your body today? Good, good. This might, I'm looking at some of y'all, this might be your last day. You might want to go cram it in, all right? But the reality of it is, one's just quitting right now. I'm quitting. <laughs> but let's go do something good in the body. Today, this weekend, to your neighbors, be kind. Guess what? Remember what I first said? Jesus said, I see your deeds. If you want to go love on your neighbor and invite them to fall festival or invite them to church or give them a meal or do something kind to them, whether I see it or not, or whether the church hears about it, guess what? Jesus saw it. He says, I know your deeds. And someday, I, th I think here's what's going to happen. We're all going to be gathered around the judgment seat of Christ. And some little no-name Christian who we kind of walk back, walk by from time to time at church is going to get more rewards than we ever thought possible. And they will have never been the person that got all the kudos from the pastor or ended up being a deacon. They were just someone faithful who just continued to bring people to Jesus and do good. And so let's be that. And so now, uh, look at the commitment and the call here. Let's, let's jump on it in verse uh, 12. He said, the one who's victorious, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, let me just stop you. I, I, I wanted to go through that. Uh, that word pillar uh, means, it's, it's the Greek word stoulos. It, it means one that is firmly planted in, in a temple. The pillar was uh, like we've heard about the cornerstone, right? This was the pillar that kind of everything rests on. It would be like, uh, you ever been in one of those uh, big tents outside? You have these small uh, uh, poles that are around the outside, and there's always one big tall pole in the middle, or if it's a bigger tent, two, pole, two poles in the middle that everything kind of hinges on and goes toward. He's saying, man, I'll make you like that. Now, it's kind of interesting. He's talking to the church at Philadelphia. He's already said you have little strength, right? He says, but I'll make you a stoulos. He says, I'll firmly plant you in the middle of everything. And he says, I'll firmly plant you right there in the temple of God. He's not talking about the Old Testament temple. He's talking about the heavenly temple. He says, where others will, will, will be around you. He says, never again. 
Uh, he says, never again will they leave. I will write on them the name of my God. This is to the one who overcomes and is victorious. I will write on them the name of the God of my city, of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write, them, write on them my name. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Well, if you look uh, to Revelation chapter 21, John saw in a vision. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven from God like a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. He says, there's coming a day when all this junk's going to go away. All this crud is going to go away. All the sinfulness, all the hurricanes, all the thing we hurt, all the disease, it's going to go away. And he goes, and everything's going to be pure. And he goes, when we get to that season, whenever it is, he says, if for those who are victorious and faithful, with a little strength or a lot of strength, he said, you'll be a pillar in my kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this day. God, I pray that we would be uh, believers with an open door. Pray that we'd be a church with an open door. I pray that we would never shrink back. We would never hold back. We'd never pull back. That, God, we should always have an open door to leave this place and go into the community. And we should also always have an open door for anyone in the, in the community to come to us. God, let us be willing to do the little things as a church. Serve an hour here, give some candy there. Always, ultimately hoping that someday, somewhere, somehow, people who we show a gesture of kindness to in your name would come to faith in Christ. God, let us as a church... And let us as men have the same passion that Jesus had, which is the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day.